Well, good afternoon. It's good to be together. Hope you don't get tired of being together. Else what will happen in heaven? Will you get tired of being together? I hope not. The dwelling of the saints together, the uh, working together around the word of God and the things of God, thank you son, should be one of the chief things that makes Christians tick. We live in a culture and a society that is very askew from Bible values. And the closer we get to being as the people of God, like God wants us to be. Hereby shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Love can't be indifferent. You know, we had a recently a very difficult meeting. Very difficult in a sense. I don't want to say more than I should here. It is difficult in the sense that a particular family, the vision just isn't the same. And we needed to face that. And so we had a family, had a meeting, the three elders and this couple. And we talked about things. And we ended with tears. The husband said, we have never had a meeting like this with any ministry before. There was not strong clashing. There was a lot of love there. There was a lot of honesty there. And there was a lot of care, one for another, and an open acknowledgement on both sides. Something needs to change. We can't continue like we are. And the next time, and the next time that I've seen that brother, it's with an intense love that I love that man. When the vision isn't the same, how can two walk together except they be agreed? That doesn't mean there's not love there. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I have this somehow a tickle in my throat. Sorry about that. <clears throat> the title of the message this afternoon is God's love for sinful man. God's love for sinful man. You know, love is the most wonderful thing. <clears throat> How would you husbands feel today if sitting beside you is a wife that you know doesn't love you anymore? Vice versa. But a lot can be going difficult and love be very intense and very strong. And there's a very deep bond. Love is wonderful. Let's turn to John chapter 3. Love is wonderful. What is the never-failing spiritual force on the earth? It is God's love. God's love. John chapter 3 in verse 14, I think we'll break in here and read. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus here, and he is... um, talking with him about spiritual things. In verse 8 he says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. 
So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. There is a principle working there. There is something at work that you can't lay your hand on or you're, you can't get a hold of it except it's something that's deeper and under the surface. Something there that is going on like that principle within that we sang about. And Jesus was describing to Nicodemus, what a new man in the kingdom of God is like. <clears throat> Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let us bow our heads for prayer. Our Lord, we come to you here at the beginning of this message, and I ask, Father, for clarity of thought. And I ask, Father, that you would give the ability to communicate from your word, to give the sense, to give the present uh, a tense here, Lord, that would speak to all of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to not take your love for granted, but to count it a very precious and deep treasure. Thank you for loving us, Lord. If it weren't for your love, we would have been consumed long ago, but you're so patient and so merciful and so loving, and you don't let us go because you love us, and therefore bring into our lives, Lord, the things that you need to bring into our lives in order that we might turn again to you. Oh, Father, help me with a feeble attempt here, Lord, with this very feeble mind and tongue and ability to communicate. Lord, would you bring clarity and would you bring a blessing that your word and your heart, your mind would be transmitted into all of our hearts here today. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to yet pause here in the train of thought and say something about yesterday evening. I gave the illustration story yesterday evening of um, you know, the man that ended up being a pauper with just a few sticks. Um, and I don't believe to say that heaven is a place for homeless people, that has any homeless people there. Jesus said that in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. However, the teaching of the Scripture is rather clear that we have the opportunity here and now to lay up treasure in heaven. And how all that's going to be, I don't know. But it's the only safe, secure place where you can actually make investments and not lose them. So I just wanted to give a little clarification yesterday about yesterday. I hope that was not um, offensive there. <clears throat> love is wonderful. By love, God conquered sin and the devil. By love. Maybe you remember the first time you thought of possibly use, losing one of your parents with a start and a pang. I remember as a small boy, you know, somehow one day something was said and I think my next older brother was describing something to me. And, and I suddenly I came aware that you mean young children, their parents die? And I thought, oh my my world would be hopeless, an endless jungle. How would I ever find my way if mom wasn't there, or dad, my little mind couldn't comprehend this. Maybe you think of a sibling you were especially close to and how warm their attention made you feel. Love is wonderful. Maybe you're married here today and remember the very first time you recognized love in his or her eyes and the deep feeling of security in your heart skips a beat. Love is wonderful. I think I remember the very first time and where we were, my wife called me honey. Makes me smile to this day. Love is wonderful. 
Christians are the only people who believe in a God who loves them. Now verse 16 here says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Salvation was wrought because God loves humanity. And maybe you say, well, you know, I've heard that all my life. I don't really feel it. Um, Yes, it's nice stories. But when you're touched with God's love, you will never be the same. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. There is not a person in this world that God does not love. As God looked at the total mass of humanity, it was with love so deep that he gave his only most precious son to save whosoever will believe on him. Now, I want you to think about the person that you love the most. There's probably a person that you love more that automatically your mind goes to. Would you give that one for a child molester or a murderer? Why no? Why if such a person would try to come in our house, we'd do everything to protect our loved ones, wouldn't we? And yet God has such a deep, far-reaching love for fallen, lost humanity that he gave his only begotten son, his most loved, his singular affection, if you will, his only begotten in that sense, for a pervert like me. For a murderer. I wasn't a murderer, except I hated people. Would you trade that person for a blasphemer, or a rebel, or an adulterer, or the drug addict, the meth head, or someone that's just bent on evil? A liar, somebody that's proud. Would you give your most precious one, your only one, for such a one? These are the people God gave his son for. What kind of sinner have you been? God loves us. God loves us. And God, he also had a way that he allowed his only begotten to die and Go into the grave and raise him back from the dead. And in that sense, we wouldn't have that power. But we catch a glimpse into down deep inside the heart of God when we see how much he loved us. See, it doesn't say here that God found himself to be so duty bound and he felt so obligated. And he saw the misery of humanity and said, you know, I just feel so sorry for him. You know, somehow, ah, you know, can we boil up enough gold? Let's buy their redemption with gold or, or some other means. But God being a relational God, God gave his only begotten son in exchange that the sinner might be brought to him. Do you still have questions whether you can be saved? Or whether God cares deeply about you. Or what your future holds. Can you trust your future into God's hands? When you have that kind of love. What should the response be? A total surrender. A total abandonment. Oh God, you can have it all. You do better with my life than I could do for myself. God loves us. 
Let's look at verse 15. It says here in John chapter 3 verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Notice the word believeth and perish. Perish is set opposite to eternal life. In verse 16, the the statement is repeated. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And many times people feel like somehow they have to earn their salvation. And there is a repentance. And there is a turning from our own way. And there is a repentance and a turning uh, unto the Lord. And there is a cost to pay. But God loves humanity. That is why salvation is made available to us. Whosoever believeth should not perish. The sinner, though he knows the truth, is yet perishing day by day. God gave his son that whosoever believes on him would not perish. What does it mean to believe? Let's just simply look here at verse 14. It says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so here we have Moses uh, giving or uh, Jesus is using Moses here as an illustration for uh, how uh, the mankind would be redeemed. And the illustration has to do with the people of Israel in the land of, of uh, the wilderness as they were wandering around and the people had sinned. You find that account there in Numbers 21. And the people had sinned and they were murmuring against God and murmuring against Moses. And God sent deadly serpents among them and they bit them and the people died. And they were dying. And the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned. We murmured against you and we've spoken against the Lord. Would you pray for us? And Moses prayed for them and the Lord said, make a brazen serpent. Take a a snake and uh, make it out of brass. I don't know. They must have had some kind of a brass smith or whatever there. And uh, they seemed to be gifted at this this, um, molding and making. They had made a a calf not too much uh, before that. But they made a brass snake. And uh, this snake may have looked like the snakes that bit them. I don't know. They may have clobbered one over the head and took the the, um, the uh, dead snake over there and said, make us one like this. And so uh, they hammered out this brass snake. And they put this snake up on a pole and hung this thing up in the middle of the camp. And the word went out in the camp that whoever looks at the serpent up on the pole is going to get well. The rest will die. And, you know, this fellow can be laying over there. He's sick as a dog, if you will, because he's been bitten by this serpent. He says, what will looking at that serpent do for me? I mean, this is, uh, this is not magic. If he refused to look to the serpent on the pole, he would die. But when he looked to the serpent on the pole, something happened. Huh. That terrible poison in my veins is, seems to be diminishing. We just recently had a lady in our area. Seems like Copperhead's been a little bad over there in, in Kentucky. And she was, uh, I think, picking some blackberries. And uh, thought, you know, I really should get something on my feet. And uh, turned to go get something. And uh, as I understand it, a Copperhead bit her in her ankle. And uh, she was at home. I think her husband has gone to work. And for, I think, 12 hours, she was in bed with a baby and the baby was sick because this poison was in her body and uh, anyway um, he was a little hysterical when he come home and uh, tried to get help very quick but the crucial time was already passed um, but this poison surging through the veins that's descriptive of our sin problem that's descriptive of the things that come forth from mankind it's poisoned and we're sinners and committing sin And as we look then at Jesus hung up on the cross there, nailed to the cross, nailed to the pole for our sins, there's something that happens inside of humanity. It's almost too good to be true. It's almost so simple that you can hardly believe that it's going to work. But those that look to Jesus, and he says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Now, this is, like I say, almost too, too good to be true. It almost sounds like a fabricated tale that you can look to one who is nailed to the cross 
and your sins be assuaged. But God gave his son because he loved us. And those that refused to look died. This is that love of God that he has for sinners. That God saw the terribleness of sin, the terrible hearts and motives of sinners, hateful and hating one another. And he gave his precious, most beloved, only begotten son to be nailed to a pole and lifted up. Now whosoever looks to him who is lifted up for our sins shall not perish. The flow of poison in our veins is assuaged and we get well. Would you give your most beloved for the worst sinner you know as a sacrifice to be nailed to a cross? God did. In verse 17, it says God did not send his son to condemn the world. Sin is a condemnation. It's sin that brings condemnation. When people have sin in their lives and they come into God's presence, that's when they feel condemnation. If the sins and the sinfulness were taken away, man wouldn't feel condemnation in God's presence. But it's sin. Sin is the condemnation. And when we get close to him, we feel our sinfulness. Verse 17 says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The passage we're going to read here right shortly says, then drew near all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. They sensed his love. Do you sense his love this evening, this afternoon? You know, verse 19 says, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Loving darkness rather than light is what equals condemnation to us. God loves us. I would just like to impress that upon your heart this afternoon. Do you love God? Have you given a proper expression of love towards him that equals the love that he has expressed to you? Love unrequited. Love unrepaid. Sometimes there's a deep feeling in the heart of one person towards another. But the feeling isn't mutual. And there's an interruption. A relationship cannot go on. And we've here. This testimony. That the basis of love is what moved God. What moves you. You know love cannot be indifferent. Some time ago, some of our children had been to Turkey on a mission there. And they had only been gone, what, three months? Oh, how we missed them. And when it came time for them to fly into Atlanta, we got in our vehicles early in the morning. And we drove down to Atlanta. We drove six hours one way. All it took is a driver to go down there and fetch them. But all our hearts were longing to see our loved ones again. And so, yeah, it didn't seem like a big deal to miss work. It didn't seem like a big deal to drive all the way down there. It didn't seem like a big deal to stand in line here and wait. And the plane's supposed to be landed and they're coming through. And, and well, where are they? And well, all the other people, I don't know, did they get snagged? Uh, but love cannot be indifferent. <clears throat> uh, they wouldn't let us at a certain place there. They wouldn't let us go in over here. And so went down outside the fence a long ways down over here to get as close to the door as we could. To say hi just as soon as we could. Love can't be indifferent. Is your love indifferent towards the Lord? Where is it? Has there been a proper response for the great love that he has for us? I'd like to go to Luke 15 here. And just basically want to go through the chapter. We might read it in sections here and keep it a little current. But I'd just like to, for the remainder of our time here, want to talk here from Luke chapter 15. Let's begin with verse 1 through 7. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them... 
doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. That passage for a long time sort of bothered me a little bit. Because it almost makes it sound that if uh, I would go out and do something really bad and then repent and come back to the Lord, that that makes me special. The Lord appreciates and loves to walk with the righteous the Lord saw in, in the case with Noah, in the case with Abraham, and in case with people that walked with him, they were extremely special and precious to him. Walking a righteous life before the Lord is yet very, very important to him. But is it without affection? Is it without affection? See, the Pharisees here, they saw the publicans sinners, those that were obviously sinners drawing near. <laughs> He's receiving sinners and eating with them. And Jesus wanted to impress something that is a very heartfelt and deep thing with the Lord our God. And that is one who has been astray, one who has gone his own way, and then is found or returns, is of exceeding much joy to the heart of God. So much so that this verse says, there is joy in heaven. There shall be joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine here. They're good enough. They seem to be good enough. They don't feel like they need any repentance. This one sinner who is responsive, is of more joy in heaven. Notice in verse 4, we have a hundred sheep, and one is lost. He does leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and that always bothered me too. He leaves those ninety-nine vulnerable? No. The focus is the focus. The focus is seeking that which is lost. God is interested in that which is lost. And there's one that's lost and he leaves the 99 in the wilderness, possibly with other shepherds, possibly in a fold. I don't know how it all was. And he went after that which is lost until he find it. When do you think it was discovered that that one was lost? Mid-morning? When there was great risk to the shepherd. You know, his, the ones that he had, the rate was extremely high. 99, 99%. You know, just one that's lost. And we have here that thing which is in the heart of God that seeks for that which is lost. Sometimes the re- reason people don't find themselves getting found is because they've not really gotten lost. I'm still a pretty good boy. Yeah, I, you know, I never did this or I never did that. And I had a friend, I had a neighbor who, um, who lives there next to me, and he, he uh, gives me his credentials. And though he's been immoral, he said, I never forced anyone. And I said, yes. But, you know, if you're drowning and you're uh, 10 feet from the shore or 100 feet from the shore, what's the difference? You drowned. You're dead. And the wages of sin is death. Maybe you weren't as bad as this person or that person. But you're lost. And God is searching for that which is lost. Notice in verse 5, the rescue. When he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. You know, probably uh, if there wasn't that deep love, he would have got himself a switch. Get on home, you bad lamb. Get on home. That's how people that are away from God feel 
uh, that the Lord is, is feeling towards them. You know, he's going to get me a switch. But no, he takes it up and lays it on his shoulders. And he is rejoicing. Praise God, I found the one that was lost. That is how God's heart feels towards those that are lost and bound in sin. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors in verse 6 saying, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. The rejoicing. And he says, this is how it is in heaven. What goes on in heaven? Well, when there's one sinner that rejoices, that repents, there is rejoicing in heaven among God's angels. And I wonder if there are some loved ones there around the throne that hear the report, so-and-so just repented and has come to the Lord Jesus. The lost sheep has been found and there's joy in the presence of the angels. What about all those that have been here, who have passed on. I don't know how it all is. But there is not just the... Um, there is not just this thing that God is sort of half passive. So I've been wanting, waiting and wondering when, uh, when you're going to finally respond and get your head screwed on straight. Um, won't you respond to me? But there is deep rejoicing. Who of us has no need of repentance? The scribes and Pharisees felt they were just persons with no need of repentance. If we would be useful to God, being a repenter of what we know in here is a must. And God is still interested in those who have a tender heart and they know of things in here and they're repenters and there's still joy among the angels of God. In verse 8 it says here, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. Again, this analogy is repeated. We have something that is lost, something that is viable. And again, the percentage is high. This is 90%. She has nine pieces out of ten, and when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Here, much of the lesson <clears throat> is repeated. Some of the procedures are different. Here we have a lost coin. She had ten pieces and one is lost. We have a diligent search. We have a candle, a broom, dust cleaned up, moving furniture, treasure is lost. There is a desperate search. God is not indifferent when someone is going astray or when someone has gone astray. God loves very deeply the sinner. Many times in this kind of finding here, God brings shaking. Dirt revealing upheaval when he is hunting for his treasure. Have you ever witnessed something like that? Where there's some shaking. <clears throat> Maybe sin is found out. Well, in verse 9, we have the coin is found. And again, we have the lesson of rejoicing with others. What is the heart and attitude when someone repents? Is there so? Ah, well, let's see if they make it a while. You know, if they're faithful for two years, what? You know, we'll, we'll get uh, excited about it maybe. No, you'll have forgotten about it by then. There is rejoicing and joy in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. This is love. This is love. God is saying, this is how I hunt for my treasures. Repentant sinners are my treasures. Is God hunting for you today? Have you wandered away like a lost sheep? Did you get lost in the rubble of life? Has something made you offended? Has something offended you? The last part of this chapter is many verses. And it deals with the lost son. In verse 11 through 32. And let us read them here. And see what the Lord will give us here. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. 
and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He is lost, he was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. There are many people that doubt God's love. There are those that have walked away from God. You know, and they quote you um, Hebrews 6. It says, impossible for somebody that was enlightened and then fell away. There's no hope for me. I want you to notice what Jesus gave here as the heart of God for people that have even walked away. Notice this lost son. Notice that this son left willfully. He said to his father, give me what I've got coming. You know, I'm not waiting until it's inheritance time. It's not, I'm not waiting until till you die. You know, we've had the funeral and all to get my portion. I want it now. So, you know, divide our living. You know, my brother, you know, he's, he's stuck on the farm. You know, he'll be here. You know, he'll look after things. But I want my portion. And it said he gathered all together. I don't know. They have an auction. You know, put the posters out and said half of... Squire um, Black's uh, farm to be sold on such a day. Put under the hammer. Half the farm machinery. Half the oxen. Half the cows. Half the sheep. I don't know. You know, it says that he gathered it all together. And pocketed the money. Ooh. And he left. Possibly on a high horse. On shiny new boots. And dad... He's standing and watching him go. Tears rolling down his face. And the son is going to live high now. And he goes and begins to live it up. Riotous living. The older brother said he devoured his living with harlots. I don't know. Did the news filter back of what all he was doing? He had money. And he lived it high. And he lived it for all it was worth. And then the money ran.
ran out. And guess who else ran out? His friends ran out. And provision ran out. There was a great famine in that land. And the means that God was seeking his lost one here was through calamity. And things going wrong and things going very wrong. And yet he loved him. He loved him. The reason that things were going wrong is because he loved him. And I don't know about you, but as I've come through life, when things began to go very wrong for me, there was something inside of me that says, God, is there something you want me to change? Are you trying to get my attention for something? Well, somebody, I made that statement once, is, is God trying to tell you something? And he, this brother came to me afterwards and he says, now I object to that statement. He says, is God trying to say something to you? I mean, does God try to do something? And I says, well, you know what? In his sovereignty, he has limited himself that he's only going to say it about so forcefully. He's still going to let you make a decision as to whether you're going to listen to him. And that's what I mean when I say God trying to say something to me. When things have gone very wrong in my life, it's one of the things that I've said is God showing me that I'm going down a wrong road here. Are there some choices that I'm making that are not right? Is the Lord trying to redirect me? And I think our hearts should be open. That is what God is one of God's ways of dealing with people. Well, the Lord sought for the lost son through trouble. First his substance was spent, a mighty famine, a disgusting job, an empty stomach, slop, and no wages. It says no man gave to him. Is it possible that after he was out there feeding the hogs, you know, the wages of sin is still death. And they're easy to collect. And is it possible that he was out there feeding these hogs and it came payday and the boss says, well, I'm sorry, I just don't have anything to pay you with. And, you know, maybe next week, you know, and he goes back out there and he's still hungry. And he says he fain would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And trouble and calamity was a very clear verification that God in heaven still loved this sinner and was calling him to return. Finally, he comes to himself. I had it so good. Even the hired servants have it so much better. And great dwelling sobs rise in his heart. And he heads toward his father with a speech prepared. Father, I have sinned. And it seems like that's as far, the, far as he got. And the son in verse 21 said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. And put it on him. I don't know if you. Probably all of you know what a strained relationship is like. And maybe you know what it's like to meet that person that you have a strained relationship with. It's very awkward isn't it. You watch the expression on the face or maybe you don't look at the face. Maybe you expect words of lashing and humiliation. Maybe there's an expectation of keeping a little bit distance. Two men were having a conflict over a property line and one of them was spreading fertilizer and, uh, and the other man wanted to talk to the man on the tractor. And he started down the road and he ran over there and tried to intercept him. He wanted to talk to him. And the man just caught another gear and you know, went a little faster. And a fellow jumped on the back of the tractor and, uh, because he wanted to talk with the man. And uh, when he jumped on the back of the tractor, the other fellow hunkered forward for everything because he expected a blow or whatever. Strained relationships. But I don't think we have any comprehension of the strain that our sins bring on a relationship with the Holy God. But here, in this example, it's easy to see that Jesus was talking about sinners and our Heavenly Father. 
And this son came, having this speech all prepared, and don't know what all he expected, but he just hoped to make it in on servant status. And to have the overwhelming response that came from this father, the best robe, a ring on his hand. My son should not be without shoes, shoes on his feet. Hey, and the fatted calf. I I had this sense I was fattening that calf for some good full reason. Bring the fatted calf. Let us make merry. And they made merry. But there was another lost son. There was another lost son here. I'd just like to draw our attention here. To this conversation. The elder brother was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house. He heard music and dancing. Verse 26. And he called one of the servants. And asked what these things meant. And he said unto him. Thy brother is come. And thy father hath killed the fatted calf. Because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. And would not go in. And the father goes out and entreats him. Now notice here a few things about this father and this son's relationship. This father, this son said, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. I'd just like to notice a taken-for-granted relationship here. And I'd like to notice a distant relationship if this was the only remaining son and this is the sole heir of all that's left on the farm and if this is the one through whom chances are all the grandchildren are going to come Why was this son so distant from the father? Why did the father not realize that this son had some longings for a kid to make merry with his friends? Is it possible that this son never came in the living room And put his feet up on a chair and said, Dad, can we talk a while? Um, Dad, you know when you started this whole operation, what did you have in mind anyway? What, What was the visions? What was going on inside of you? Was you thought of this whole spread and everything that's going on? Obviously, we got servants, we got things going on. Dad, would you share with me your vision? And um, Dad, um, would it be possible that I could tell you some of the things that are on my heart? Now we've gone from talking about the elder son and his father to talking about you and your father. When Have you gone into your heavenly father's presence and asked him to share with you what's on his heart? What actually did you have in mind when you started Zion Christian Fellowship 
What was your vision for the things that would go on at Zion Christian Fellowship? And Father, can I talk to you a bit about what's been going on inside here? I'm so sorry that we've been so distant and we haven't talked more. Here's some, some desires that I have. What do you think of it? Would that fit in what's on your heart? I'm talking about a relationship. Many people become part of the kingdom of God and they continue to want servant status. Just give me enough to eat, enough to drink, enough to wear. I'll just serve you and I'll just mind my own business. I'm here to say that God doesn't want a relationship like that. He who loved so intently that he gave his only begotten doesn't want a distant relationship with his creation that he purchased and redeemed at the price of his only begotten son on the cross. He wants our hearts to be with him. He wants his heart to be in us. And that living expression of what God's heart is in heaven lived out here in this community. That's what God wants. And too often, we're like the older son. Indignant that he got grace. And such a fuss was made over this fellow that's wasted so much. In closing, let's consider God's love. God's love extended. He's extending love even now. You know, I have wondered. I've pondered this to some today. I wonder what all would happen here in this congregation if it became a common practice to periodically to meet two, three evenings in a row, have some songs, a bit of meditation, and a time of prayer. God draws near to a people in a way that I don't think he draws near to them in any other way is when they, in response to his love, come together and open their hearts together to God. They come together and they pray for needs that are maybe expressed among you all. There may be needs for people that you're having in your community. There may be needs in marriages and homes. Oh, we can't talk about that though. The tendency for humanity to live a veneer. You know, we put a nice smile on. And, you know, clothes are clean and Everything looks fine. Yes, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. But underneath the surface, all is not fine. And there are concerns and struggles that God wants his people to bring together to each other and lift before his throne. You maybe don't even know what you need to ask for. But the spirit itself makes intercession. It's in a place where God's people come together and seek his face that God goes to work. It's mysterious. God extends his love even now. We have here God's rejoicing, love discovered. When love is found and someone responds to love, there's heavenly rejoicing. We have God's gift. He gave his best and his all, a pardon for all your sins. There's no need to perish. No need for anyone to perish. We have God's gift. But we have also God's grief. Love rejected. Unrequited love. Love rejected. Is that you? Now a story that George Brunk told in his tent meetings about a mother 
who had a sick child and had been up and done everything that could be done for that child that she knew of. Finally, the doctor came. And the doctor examined the child and said, the child is going to die. There's nothing I can do for the child. We don't know what's wrong with the child, but the child's going to die. And the mother gets off over there in distress and says, oh God, let the child live. Let me die instead of the child. You know, the child's young. The child has all its life ahead of it. Let me die. Let the child live. And a tremendous entreaty. And the child lived. But the child grew up to virtually spit in his parents' face and walk off. That's love unrequited. That's love that has not been rewarded with equal love. And God has given his best. Nothing more could be done to procure your salvation. He didn't go a cheap route. He went the expensive route all out. And what is our response? Have you been nurturing a flame of love for him? Have you been rewarding his love with love? See, Christianity is far too much ho-hum. Got that ticket, as I mentioned last night. And it goes through motions and doesn't mean much to people. God is this God who gives us many words and many examples of his dealings with humanity and his grace and his almighty power and his ability to draw near to humanity and help humanity. And we sit around and don't discuss much about it, you know. We see how he did with David and we see how David, David did something that is very remarkable. David brought the ark up and pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. And there were times that David would go in and sit before the Lord and talk to the Lord. And the book of Acts says that I'm going to raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And this whole thing of relating to God as our beloved heavenly father with an open-hearted way telling him all our joys and sorrows and coming and sitting before him if you will is much neglected god loves us it's like a lonely parent who very much hopes that maybe some of the children will come in sunday night and no oh yeah that was reuben Oh, that was Sarah and her family. They were going that way. Hmm. Nobody really came to visit me. Love unrequited. It's not paid back. This is God's grief. You say, well, can there be grief in heaven? The Lord has said... And one of the prophets that I'm like a cart that's pressed down under a burden. God knows how to feel grief. God has poured out his love and expressed his love and given his son. Have you come and said thank you? Have we seen this evening the error of fearing that we didn't do everything just right when we came to the Lord? When we have such love poured out to us. You know, sometimes people struggle with that. Well, you know, I don't know if I just understood just right. Or, you know, if I did enough, you know, did I repent enough? And and there's all this self-focus. When God would like to be the focus of our hearts and our lives. Will you still let his love be unrewarded, unrepaid? Will you come today and bring joy in heaven? This is... The words of invitation. 
Are you able to feel love? Can you understand how your heart would be feeling if you had loved so much and given so much and had so little come back to you? It's discouraging. The Lord is worthy of all our heart's affection. It comes back again to where we started yesterday evening. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not just a feeling, but a commitment of life that I'm going to walk this way and let every expression of my life seek to redound towards him. I'll let you close, Brother Earl.